We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Roots podcast. This episode. This one's easy. This one's easy. 201 one's here easy. on the Moose and Roots pod. We are on to another. Uh, what would we, you know, I always get caught up with like the um, numerical terms when you're trying to like well, a, be a, literary, like a new century, years? but no, I think, I think that would work. Um, a, a new millennia would be if thousands. we were moving through thousands, yeah, but we're not there yet. I think, I think we can apply century to, to this given case here too. So, so we move on to a new century. A third century of episodes. Would it be the yeah yeah, yeah be the third, third century. century yeah all right well I'm glad we've gotten to the bottom of that uh, episode 201 here on the Moose and Roots podcast alongside Matt Rooney I am Joe Moose so we got some topics to talk about baseball season about a week in uh, getting a feel for who's who and what's what also getting for a feel for what needs to be cleaned up but before we get into any of that some Masters picks Matt Rooney how are you it's Masters week I'm great it is it's been a very busy week it's going to continue to be a very busy next few weeks for us but it's Masters week and I just I couldn't feel better it's I, yeah, I got the Masters I love, this week. I love, you know, I follow, um, I follow still a lot of people from over at NBC Sports Chicago, some old colleagues and people who I respect in the business and people who I've always looked up to in the business and watching everyone collectively uh, just come come apart at the seams over some West Coast baseball. Oh, man. Tonight. Last night like was... That's, that's my reality every night. Like, there's always West Coast games, and if they're worth anything, we're staying for them. And mm-hmm. they're usually worth something because it's usually the Dodgers or the Padres yeah. or something. So, like, yeah, it, it's the late part of the year. It's it's the part of the year where you're going home at 2, 2.30, 3 if you get extra innings. It stinks, but, like, watching everybody, like, when are the Zogs going to come home? It's... Uh, <laughs> I guess it at least makes me feel like there's someone in the foxhole with me. Yeah, we're you know, we, luckily we got to get a nice three o'clock start today, so I think the, uh, the tough stretch is over until I'm sure they have to bounce back out there at some point later on to Oakland. Mm-hmm. But tough, tough stretch is over for now. Then we get to come home. Looking yeah, they, forward uh, to it. Open it up on the West Coast with action against the Angels and then against the uh, Mariners and. Matt, I, I've been torn about my initial feelings about this team because. They've been in every game, essentially. They've hit well in almost every game. And even in the game that they didn't hit well, it was a 4-4 ball game Mm -hmm. uh, off of some errors from the Angels. They just have made a mockery of the game of baseball in the field. I believe they're leading the bigs in errors right now. Yeah, Joe, like defensively, it's just been, you said, I don't know if they're leading the league in errors because they haven't really checked, but I believe they've made Um, six or seven now. now through six games. And like a lot of, like, I don't know if the one Andrew Vaughn made in the corner last night qualifies as an error. If if it does, that's not one I'm really too upset about. He made you know tried to make a sliding play for a guy playing out of position. That's fine. I can live with that. But you got Adam Eaton who's been playing right field in the majors for years now, who can't come up with a play in Anaheim. You have Nick Madrigal who was a great defender in college, very good defender in the minors, booting double play balls now in two straight games that are really putting their pitchers into bad spots, and. Zach Collins, I believe, like Zach Collins, it was last night who mm-hmm. you know called the changeup, couldn't handle a changeup, and then looked, you know, went the wrong way off the read. So there's, it's just not a lot of these mistakes are physical, and I think that's kind of the annoying part for me is that it seems like, and the the Sox are still three and three, so it's hard to be too you know 
or was it three and three, four and three, mm-hmm. whatever it is, three and three, three and three. They got they got the three with Seattle today. Um, I'm happy that they are 500, but they have not, and, and they shouldn't have peaked yet. But they have they're they're so far away from playing their best baseball, and they they started so last year, so there's something to look into that. But like, it's just it's looking like a team that kind of. I don't want to say read their press clippings a little bit too much, but maybe kind of just expected to walk in this year and start the year eight and zero, and and now they're kind of you know they ran into a a Angels team that I think has a very underrated lineup. I mean, you look at them one through six; that's a really good team. But they're going to contend for a playoff yeah. position. I know it's a tough schedule, and I know there's a lot to be asked of that team, but that's going to be a team that contends. I, really that, I, that. I am, I mean, especially after watching Otani pitch. That's. Uh, if they have that ace, which it looks like they kind of have in Otani, that's a very, very good baseball team. And a, a, like I mean, that, that line is that guy to watch. I mean, it, it, that was. I mean, I had to mute Matt Vasquez and A Rod, but watching <laughs> that game was. But how fun is that to watch? Not listen. Exactly, I had to mute it so I couldn't hear the glove pops, the bat cracks, which was unfortunate. But I mean, he's just he's absolutely electric pitching. It, it, a I'm not sure how I feel about Joe Madden being the guy that's uh, responsible for stretching him out and kind of managing that arm because he has some issues with that. Yeah, um, but I'm it, here for a good time, not for a long that's time. That's fair. Like the guy, it's, it's, I love, we were we were texting during the game, like, yeah, let him face Abreu. Like, you want to be the big bad two way guy? Well, here's the AL MVP. What can you do with him? Mm-hmm. I believe uh, I believe Abreu ended up walking that at bat, and then they leave him in through the rest of that inning, and that's when he got caught up yeah. in, in some issues, and then takes that cleat from Abreu Abreu at home plate. But nonetheless, I, I like a I like a manager who um, who understands not only what his what's going to put his team in the best position to win, but like there's some entertainment value. There's always been some entertainment value to Joe Madden. I know he's not making his decisions based on that, but like. I don't know if it's because we saw them up close with the Cubs, but fun teams, fun players, and putting them in a position to entertain us is is oftentimes uh, where Joe Madden's at. And I think that that's totally Ohtani, fair. As not an Angels Ohtani, fan, I love that. As an Angels yeah, fan, I might Shoei be a little Ohtani, bit apprehensive. That's true. Uh, with Joey Otani being, I mean, uh, arguably the most entertaining force in the game, and if he can stay healthy, and if every fifth day we're going to watch him hit second and pitch, mm-hmm. and it, it took him all of an inning to have the hardest hit ball of the season and the fastest yeah, pitch that of ball the season. Like, we're talking about baseball robot. We're talking about like created in a lab. Guy can do everything. If he wanted to, could probably play defensive end of the NFL. Like He's a freak, and getting, him, getting to watch him play. He need um, to beef up a little bit to play DN. I know. You've got to pull on him. Even if it's having to be up at one thirty in the morning, um, yes, give me something entertaining on the West Coast, like not just Clayton Kershaw every fifth day or that that Dodgers lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that just to go off on a tangent here, I think that the Angels are going to contend largely because of what Otani brings to uh, brings to the fold, and hopefully they can make the playoffs. Hopefully they can be part of the national conversation because that exalts Mikey Mantle to to uh, to another level. Not that. Not that Mike Trout needs anybody to uh, lift him to another level, but to make him more visible, yeah. I mean, I'm in for all of it. Awesome, man. Just watching him those first four games, God. he's so hard to get out. Like, every, even when you do get him out, it's an exhausting at bat. He, there's just no, like, it's a stressful at bat to watch. Yeah. It's exhausting to watch. He really makes you work for it, and he's, he's just so he covers, incredibly good. He covers the whole plate, and his swing is so compact. It feels like you can't fool him. Like, even if he's fooled, he has – somehow he's the only player in the world that if he's fooled on a pitch has time to, like, 
react. Like not not just not just sit there and take the breaking ball down the middle, but if he's sitting mm-hmm. fastball and that breaking ball comes, like he can get, yeah, he can get still get the bat on it. I can be off balance and still drive one out to the outfield. Like he's 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 the best of, of our lifetime. I really think it's safe to say that at this point. Yeah, and he's still got a whole lot of career to go, which is wild. But I mean, yeah. getting getting back to the Sox a little bit here, the, the defense has obviously struggled. The bullpen hasn't been great, but a lot of that has also been because of the lack of help. Like I, I have a I have a tough time judging the pitching so far because yeah. the defense behind them has been so bad. Um, Dallas. Like Keuchel, I thought, Giolito looked. I thought Giolito looked a lot better than his line a night ago. Like I thought that he. Giolito was struck command. out ten last night through five. It was unbelievable. It was, yeah, he, his fastball was a little bit. Low. He was only hitting peaking at about ninety three, ninety four ish last night. Where you know when he's really juiced up, he's at ninety six or so. But yeah, the the, the changeup was better. He had the one bad inning, and then you know a lot of pitchers would have kind of folded after that. Maybe gone one more inning and kind of been done for the night. Uh, credit to him. I think he went into the third with 26 pitches, left it with around 61, and then came out and shoved for two and a third more innings and just kept striking people out. So that that's kind of what Nace does, and he kind of went into a little bit of, of FU mode, it seemed like, last night. And I wouldn't be shocked if he was a little bit pissed off at his teammates. Um, but the defense has to clean things up behind the pitching, because other than Keuchel, who was not all that sharp, all the other pitchers were for the most part, fine. Cease was had the rough start, but he kind of settled down. Rodon was mm-hmm. really good the other night. Lance Lynn, if you, you play well behind him, he gets out of that fourth inning and probably gets to go a fifth. Like it's all of these things are having a or a domino effect because of the defense. And then you look at the plate approaches. I mean, they've been okay. I think those are things that'll probably get a little bit better. I think Luis Robert has looked better when he's hitting out of that two hole and has some protection. Um, yeah. That's kind of my only critique of the lineup. Yohan Moncada worries me a little bit, but hopefully he's just kind of figuring some things out. Uh, but for the most part, I, I'm fine with what we've seen from the play. Just everything starts with the fundamentals defensively that just haven't been there. For sure. And I think I'm a little bit more uh, rose-colored glasses right now than most Sox fans because if you're going to clean things up, it's mental, even physical mistakes in the field. You can clean those things mm-hmm. up. You can't – a lot of times – if you don't have the arms there, you're in trouble. Like how long, it wasn't long ago that Rodon was not our ace, but he was day one, day two guy. Yeah. Uh, oh, he was one, week. two in the, yeah, he was one, two and, in the rotation. Now, and now he's, and now he's the back end of the rotation. The mm-hmm. rotation's bolstered. Those guys are going to find their footing. Um, I think having seen Giolito twice this season, we can dispel any sort of worries that maybe he was a flash in the pan. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's he going two- to, very good he's going start. to uh, not to overstate what he's done thus far, but like if he does what he is expected to do, he will once again be in the conversation for the Cy Young Award. Mm-hmm. Um, if Jose Abreu, uh, to take the talk back to the plate here, continues to do what he's doing at the plate, he will once again be in the conversation for American League MVP. Yeah. Guys, hit two grand slams already. His plate approach is that of. I mean, he's in that tier of Mike Trout's. He's in that tier of top guys in the league when it comes to hardest in the world to get out. He's Mm -hmm. amazing. And I feel like the national perception of Jose Abreu still does not match the output. Like, you have to remind people that he's the AL MVP. Yeah. I mean, he is so for some reason it, it might maybe it's because he plays for Chicago the, not the Cubs the White Sox but he's like he's still flying under the radar you watch that so I don't want to bring it back to the Sunday night baseball broadcast but you watch the Sunday night baseball broadcast and like 
it took till pretty much his second at bat for him to come up and them to kind of start talking about how good yeah, he that, is. Yeah. I mean, but the thing, like, he's had not, I would say, I, I think he's a guy who you see a little bit pressing, a little bit chasing, a little more feeling, a little bit of added pressure because of, A, Eloy being out and, two, a little bit of a slow start at the plate. But even in kind of what's been not the best, not a bad start by any means, obviously, but where he's still kind of pressing a little bit, still not quite himself at the plate, he's still got two grand slams and, like, nine RBIs in six games. Like, he's still making pitchers pay for mistakes. He is the prototypical number three, number four hitter that any major league baseball team would be lucky to have in, his line, in their lineup and would be yeah. hitting three or four on any major league baseball team. He's that guy. I, I think what I'm getting at, too, here from a larger point is that the potential of this team, and hopefully it's met, but the potential of this team is right there under mm-hmm. the surface. They just got to go unlock it. And I think that if we give them a month to do so, this could be one of the better teams in the bigs, hands down, bar none. Um, did take a look at the numbers here. Not leading the league in errors. They have five it sure six feels like games. It. Uh, the Texas Rangers are pacing the league with seven errors well, already. They you know, so. They're you, know who has the least, you know who has the least errors in the league? Um, no. Your Chicago Cubs. Oh. Haven't committed an error yet. Well, they have problems on the other side. How about that for a stat? Uh, Matt, I, I've seen a little bit of Cubs baseball, done a couple of highlights, but the general sentiment is what right now? Uh, still can't hit. I mean, I think yeah. the joke was your mean Mercedes has as many three game three hit games as the Cubs do so far this year. I think they have like 18 hits Yerminator. or something through who's the Yermator man. It's a thing. Um, he's got like, they, they have like 18 hits through their first six games. It's, it, it's, I, I don't know if it makes us insane that we keep saying it's a really talented lineup. Maybe it's not that talented of a lineup, but you look at the lineup, you look at, maybe we're weighing too much what these guys did in the past, but that lineup should be better than it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it's they've gotten decent pitching for you know what we've expected from them um but it's the the lineup the lack of production coming from all those talented bats in the lineup is something that just cubs fans are livid about to say the least and yeah, we did have a, a benches clearing moment there a little bit of posturing a night ago uh after yeah, so wilson can, was, we'll see, can, was wilson hit by a pitch yeah yeah. yeah, so, uh, and I think that, you know, to kind of dovetail out of Chicago here for a moment, I think that uh, in what we saw with, who was it, Castellanos um, flexing on. Yeah. Um, he got suspended for that. He got suspended. Like, That's so stupid. Like, the game you so wanna- desperately wants to be fun. And I, I feel like, I guess the point I'm trying to make is I feel like it has the names, the players, it the does. guys to be fun. And it's just like. There's a governor on it right now, and it's, you got to take the governor off. Let it get a little bit. Uh, what was the game called? The Blitz version, MLB. Um, uh, it was the NFL Blitz baseball like game. That? Like high heat. No, 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 no. Go ahead. I'm going to find it. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, but it's it. If you want to find a guy for flexing over and you know flexing over a guy laying down on home plate for taunting, okay, whatever, that's fine. But to suspend him for that when, like you're saying, you're trying to make a slugfest, slug. Oh, those were great games. See, that's where I confuse <laughs> it because I remember Ken Griffey Jr. slugfest, and that yeah. was like an actual baseball game. Um, but that was a wild first game story, first game, first series story to kind of track. It's just it, I, you're turning into the no fun league really fast when you're trying to come off you got a whole summer to yourself you're trying to appeal to a younger generation and then you go you go suspend a guy for flexing after hitting a home run like come on yeah um 
you know, there's a place for it. There's a time for it. Baseball's got a pace issue as well, so we don't need a bunch of uh, pageantry, pageantry and uh, performance art mm-hmm. uh, throughout the game because that just slows things down. But, um, yeah, let these guys show a little bit of personality. That's all know, I'm asking. Do you know who we haven't talked about yet that I'm shocked didn't come up when we were talking about White Sox? Who's that? Michael Kopech. Yeah. It's he been looks great. good, man. I mean, it's been great to see him out there, and you kind of – Spurred my memory on another point I wanted to make away from Kopech. You're talking about the velocity of Lucas Giolito. Mm-hmm. A little bit worried about the the velocity of Crochet uh, as well. Wasn't he like a triple-digit guy? Like he was yeah, 95, so he six last night. And that's coming off of last year where he had that issue where he was unavailable at the end of the season. Yeah, he had – no, no, he pitched through the end of the year, and then I think it was after the end of the year. They were like, hey, he's got – it was something with his forearm. But, I mean – Yeah, because he got think, pulled in that one start. I do think he would have – oh, yeah, that way you're right. He did – Yeah, like, and then so he, he wasn't was like available for the last – And then Ricky game just – No, that was game – that was Paul part of the game three bullpen debacle. Game three. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I – I still think if that that's something that were at all serious, that would have been taken care of then and there because there would be no yeah. point like not to. Um, and I, I was I was actually noticing the same thing uh, two nights ago when Kopech was throwing like against the Angels, he was you know right up at ninety nine, one hundred ninety eight. Against mm-hmm. uh, Seattle, he was kind of sitting more ninety four, ninety five, ninety six. And in the press conference afterwards, Grandal was the first guy that met with the met with the media. They were asking about Kopech and kind of that and. and he pretty much said, like, we're at the point, he's at the point where he knows he doesn't have to be 99, 198 every night to get guys out and he can save his he arm a little bit. He can go there if he wants. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like I can get there if I need to kind of thing. But coming off of Tommy John and all that kind of thing, you know, it's about managing. And if I, if I can still be effective, still get people out, sit 96, 95 like he can. I, I think you look at a guy like Carrick Crochet, who's really never thrown a full major league season and all that, it might be a case of, we're trying to pace ourselves for 162. We're trying to learn how to pitch. Yeah. We don't have our best stuff kind of thing. Now, I can get up to 98, 99, 100 like you can, absolutely. But if that's something that early on, it's, it's more of an effort to conserve yourself for the long haul for a guy that's never gone that far in a season, thrown that many innings, then I'm, I'm absolutely all for it. And I, I trust the guys that are managing that load. And, and Tony La Russa, Yasmani Grandal, Ethan Katz, those guys have, have been around the block a couple times or two. So I, I, I mean, I, I get it. I, I, I want to see them get back up there. It did, did pique my interest. I, I had the same thought in my head as, as you did. But I, I kind yeah. of think that's what their thought process is with guys, especially like that, who are you know gearing up for a long haul they haven't had to gear up for before. Um, I mean, just to start the season with Kopech, fully healthy and available and to watch him go up against some of the top hitting talents mm-hmm. in the league on the angels. It was just, you know, it was, uh, it was affirming. It was affirming that, Hey, this guy's here. He's fine. He's going to be a big part of the white Sox success. Uh, no matter where they want to slot him mm-hmm. in the bullpen, in the rotation, once he get like whatever they want to do with him, he can do it. And to have a pitcher that, that that's that um, capable and that that's, that that's that willing and that multiple in his ability like mm-hmm. that's just that's a luxury and it was uh, you and i were talking about it too what was it saturday one of the i think it was saturday night where uh Kopech was in and he went to you know, he went to one looked great and came out for the second it was like oh that's interesting they're letting him go a second and he looked yeah. great again and larusa sent him out for the third to face mike trout and i i, I love that mentality from your manager for guys these young guys like this especially early and on in the season like 
guys, we're going to be in these spots going forward. I need to see how you handle them. I need to see how you work against Granted, it's only, you know, it's April, it's whatever, but you're going up against Mike Trout in a big spot. I, I know you've thrown some pitches, but go get the guy. Like I, I yeah. love that mentality of not babying these guys, you know, throwing them into the fire early and kind of making them learn on the fly how to pitch through some adversity, how to pitch, pitch through some tough circumstances. And I think one of the best signs managerial-wise, at least, uh, for La Russa is that the conversation hasn't surrounded him yet. You know, it's mm-hmm. And it's going to, at some point or another, uh, every manager is going to make a decision that the fan base disagrees with at some point in the season. But, like, it's been, it's been no news is good news on that front. And with as talented as this team is, that's all I can ask out of the manager. I loved, um, you know whether it was him or the bench coaches or whoever it may have been, but the situation where he massages the rules to get Hendricks to face mm-hmm. four. Um, was that opening night? That was, that that was, was no, that was the night they won. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just, I mean, it's, it's there and it's engaged from the LaRusso standpoint as well. Not that we were um, questioning a legend of the game, but we were questioning a legend in the game. Well, especially here. And I mean, you saw the reaction in Chicago when, when yeah. he was hired and all that. Everyone's going to look for every possible reason to question Tony La Russa. So the better start to the year he has is only going to be you know better for silencing those kind of questions, critics, all that kind of stuff. And you just kind of have to realize no matter what he does, there's still going to be a group of Sox fans because there's always a group of Sox fans that are going to rip him, criticize him, all that kind of thing. But like you said early on, there's there's been some interesting bullpen management, but I think also part of that is – He's still in the process of figuring out the guys he trusts. What he wants is, to put yeah, guys into certain got? spots. and he, I will ultimately judge his full bullpen management in September, August, when he kind of knows the bullpen, knows his team, knows their spots, and is in the thick of a pennant race. I think that's a little bit more of when he's going to go back to his kind of his set, you know, you're this inning, you're this inning, you're this inning rotation type of bullpen management. Well, the season is 3.7% in the books. Wow. And we got, got an exciting oh, yeah. team going on the south side. Uh, Cubs still, as we said, when we picked our over-under here, I think that they're a 500 ball club or better. And my opinion of that didn't change over the first week of the season. So yeah, I mean, we'll see they, how it all plays they're out. They're not hitting the but, ball, um, but they still have, you know, what, yeah. three, they're still three, what, three and three, three and I two, believe, I and they're not hitting the three ball well. So it's, I mean... I'm not too worried about it. I still think that division's not very good. I think it's pretty beatable, and I, I think they'll be just fine for hitting that over. Matt, it is Masters Week, and we have spent enough time not talking about the Masters That's on true. this podcast. So let's talk about A little bit disappointed we 20, didn't lead off with it. I thought we were going to, but it's probably better. 20, 20, yeah, I mean, we got wanted to put, put baseball to bed here. Yeah, that's but, fair. Uh, that's fair. You put it in the put it in the time code. Whatever the time code is right now, Masters conversation starts now for our, uh, for our uh, at for our, the twenty three minute mark of the podcast. There Got it is, it. Uh, Matt. Twenty twenty one Masters. Um, as I don't want to call it a wide open field because there's obviously your favorites, but as deep of a field of favorites as mm-hmm. I can remember oh, in yeah. recent past. Like there are. 12 guys I could sit here and name right now that would not surprise me to put on the green jacket on Sunday. Um, we're going to get some picks here in a moment, but just general vibe first two days out at Augusta. What's the storyline peaking your interest most right now? Bryson swinging at the range with VJ watching. That is, <laughs> I know that like, it's hard for me to pick. I mean, Jordan Speed obviously winning last week is great for the storylines because you have him mm-hmm. have him buzzing at the right time. He's going back to Augusta where obviously he's had the past success and, 
do think him being a right up there is is a not quite a co-favorite, but right around there. Second um, favorite, I believe. Might, he's second favorite at ten to one. I think that's a little bit much. Um, yeah, you're but, paying. You're again. You're paying the premium on a name brand there. Yeah, that's true. And also, like, it's so rare that you see guys win back to back weekends. Not that it can't be done. It's just very, very tough to do. So I don't really. I, I'm excited to see him back at his somewhat peak playing at Augusta because he's one of the guys that. He he moves the needle a little bit. He makes golf a little bit more fun to watch. You know, it's not that I don't love watching it anyways, but he is he's he can be a, a little bit of a firecracker. You never really know what you're going to get out of him. You can get some great stuff. You can get some collapses. He's just he's much watch golf and, and put him at Augusta playing his best. I can't wait to watch it. Um, Bryson is also. I mean, you, you see him swinging 140 miles an hour on the range, and VJ just sitting there laughing. Like I'm excited to see what Bryson does after really uh kind of a flop a really big flop a few months ago um uh, kind of see how he bounces back in response yeah um everything that i'm hearing from augusta our guy mark immelman I, i've i've had a talk back with him the last two days everything i've heard is that the membership and those setting up the course were you know it was november you could only do so much with it last masters and it was a little soft and that led to the lowest ever mm-hmm. tournament score by dustin johnson uh, not to say that that wasn't uh, due to his own capabilities, but it's play. It's going to play firmer. It's going to play faster. And with that in mind, I think that kind of levels all ships off the tee. Yeah, you're going to have guys who bomb it out there like Bryson, but mm-hmm. if you're putting the ball on the ground in the right places with the undulations out there, and you're going to have a lot of a lot of balls in similar collection areas. Whether you fly it to it or whether you roll it to it, uh, I think that kind of takes a little sting out of his advantage there if it's playing super firm and fast. But in the case of Jordan Spieth. I don't have back-to-back winner numbers for you, but he would be just the fifth player all time to win the event prior to the Masters and then go on to win the Masters. Um, it wouldn't. He's one of those 12 guys for me. It would not surprise me. He has been one of the best ball strikers in the world for the last two months. This wasn't mm-hmm. like a statistical oddity that he won last No, Sunday. he's been playing he's been his knocking, best golf been knocking in the on last the door. five years. Um, I think that... Second favorite might be a little bit high up the board for me, but right there in the top five, I think is where Jordan should be odds wise uh, to win this to win this Masters. But storyline I'm most watching, and I'm not going to be able to take my eyes off it, and I'm hoping we get four days of it, is the health of Brooks Kepka because mm-hmm. he stood in front of the media on Monday, on Tuesday, and told them, "Yeah, I'm in a ton of pain. Yeah, I had a knee surgery a less less than a, a month ago, and there's an internal brace like they put a brace inside." God. his knee on his patella tendon to keep his kneecap from sliding out of place again. It sounds like he's going to have to have another procedure after the master. So I don't know if this is the last time we see Brooks for a long time, but you see him reading putts like a power ranger with one leg straight and one leg bent. He can't can't bend his knee to read putts because it puts him in that much pain and whatever screws and brace they've put in his knee restricts him from doing so. But – Free and easy is the swing while standing up. So can he contend on one leg and add to a tiger-like roar of his, or excuse me, a tiger-like lore of his uh, career and the competitor that he is? I mean, a, a lot of guys would say, you know, I got this issue, I got this injury, I'm not yet 100%, I'm not going to give it a go. Brooks at 10.06 mm-hmm. Thursday is going to be on that first tee. And I'm really excited to see what he can do um, less than 100%. Yeah, I, I hope it holds up too because like you're saying, this is 
people were saying he could be out, you know, multiple months and it's, it's been a couple weeks and he's, he's going to try and give it a go. I, I applaud him. And for the people that say he doesn't really love the game of golf, doesn't, doesn't care about it as much as he should. This, this should probably squash some of those rumors. Another guy who I'm looking out for is Tony Finau after, you know, obviously not the last masters, the one before that with tiger, he came really close. He was mm-hmm. right there at the Genesis. And then since then he's been not quite as good. He had the 14th right after that. And he's missed two of his last four cuts since that Genesis. Um, I, this has been a spot that he's played pretty decently well in the past. He's done pretty well in majors. You're going to go with your Tony Finau top five, top 10 prop here. Where, where are you at on Tony? Um, I feel like I'm, I'm not fading the pick, but I don't love it anymore. And yeah, Tony plays great at Augusta. Um, mm-hmm. He was in that final group with Tiger. He's experienced everything you could really experience outside of victory at Augusta National. With that said, I think that when the market and the general public catches on to one of these trends, it's usually when that trend goes stale. And, you know, that's not to say Fina's not playing good golf. It's just to say the law of averages tells us that at a certain point he's going to slip out of that top 10. Um, would it surprise me if he's right there, fifth, sixth, third, this week? Not in the least, but I'm just not in love with the odds, and I'm not in love with the value on that top ten ticket. I don't have the number in front of me right now, but I can pull that up. To, his, his he's thirty three yeah, to, to one to win the tournament, which is something that I think if I'm going to take a female flyer, yeah, I mean that's probably the put, one you take. Put, put it on the win. You know, I, I don't know that. Um, I don't know that that. Augusta is where he ultimately exercises all of those demons. And frankly, I'd be very surprised if that's the case. But I mean, if you can give me that top 10 number, I'll tell you if I have any interest yeah. in it. I Tony, Fien- that- Tony Finau top five is plus 600. That doesn't, that, that's that, just there's not, no value there for me. Six to one to get screwed plus, over plus by someone who makes a putt 10. and bumps him to plus 300 in the top 10. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'd be a little bit more interested in that than six to one in top five because top five is like you could have a winner, three guys tied for second, and then you better ha- you better be right there or you're out of the top five. Yeah, um, it, it gets very it gets very crowded there. Any other names you're looking out for this week? You got any you, you got any underdog high odd guys that uh, yeah, anyone's um, been telling you to look out for? My pick that I've been giving out all week is one that I think can contend anywhere that there are pins in the ground. Um, and That's a lot he's of golf a major, He's a major champion. Um, he is a star in his own right. Same. He is unflappable in many ways, and I think that plays at Augusta National. He is offering us 30-1 to 1 odds, and he is Colin Morikawa. Mm. I think that... I like him a lot. I think that you know every year we sit here and say, "Oh, what's the common thread to Masters champions?" Well, you got to be able to putt it, you got to be able to drive it, but the tee to green game is really where guys separate themselves. And talking to our guy Rick Gaiman, our data scientist, that's been the through line to the past ten major champions: is that they're all top ten in the world, top fifteen in the world, tee to green heading into that tournament. And I think that from a ball striking standpoint, it goes. Justin Thomas one, Colin Morikawa one A. Like those mm-hmm. are the two best ball strikers. And I'd be interested to see you know what JT is going to do this week at ten to one. But just ball striking ability, major champion, unflappable, thirty to one odds. That intersection of value and likelihood. I find myself standing at the doorstep of Colin Morikawa. I, I like that pick a lot. And like you said, he's he's kind of unflappable, and he's a guy who all throughout last year. 
uh, was right there at the ends of tournaments, obviously pulling out the PGA Championship. He's He's been in these spots before, and he's been kind of nails in them. I am interested to kind of see him at Augusta with a crowd and all that because he did the majority – not that he hasn't been good this year. He, he's been fine. He's done the majority of his winning, his contending without crowds around. And it's just with, with this younger generation of golfers that some of them haven't experienced that as much. That's that's mm-hmm. something that at Augusta where you're going to have the roar back, which that's going to be really, really cool to have. That was very missing the last, uh, last time around. Um, it'll be interesting to see how some of these younger golfers, him especially, kind of react to that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Justin outs- Thomas. Outside too. of I, that, I'm excited to see Justin. I, I think if I had yeah, to pick I think one, it's he's kind my of, pick this week, this weekend. I think it's kind of a situation where head says Rom, heart says Thomas, pocket says Morikawa. Oh, see, my heart would say not that I'm rooting for Rom. My like emotional like pick would be Rom because he was supposed to miss it. He, you know, his his wife was going to have the baby. His wife had the baby early. It's got the story. Yeah, he's, and he's like, playing really good golf that too. Not that, that, that that's obviously very important. He's got the story. Can't you just see John? No, Rock I can. One, on the, I, that's the green why jacket, cold, holding it and probably not holding the newborn. That might be a little my heart. Bit the reason I say head says head says Rom is because of all those reasons. Heart says JT because <laughs> I just love JT. Um, head says Rom because of that fact that the storyline is built in there. He is the number three player in the world. Um, unflappable is not how I would describe John Rom nope. at, at any juncture, but. Can that fire make its way around Augusta like Sergio once did or like Seve once did or like some of these fiery players in the past? I mean, Arnie was was never accused of uh, of being too demure. Uh, I, I think that I think that John Rahm is a champion at Augusta National just fits. You know, it, it just adds to the legend and the lore of not just his career, but of the club at Augusta national and this tournament of the masters, not to say that these guys, these other guys don't, but John Rahm is such a character and he does have that storyline this week. And I know that the college fund is there for his newborn and that the, they're not going to struggle to put food on the table, but there is a certain genetic code unlocked Mm -hmm. in you when you become a father for the first time of, I must provide for this human being that I'm responsible for. And maybe he's driven by that this week to, again, add to that storyline. I think that um, hopefully hopefully the leaderboard in some uh, mixture of the names reads Rom, Thomas, yeah. Johnson, Spieth, Morikawa. Throw in a couple regulars in there like Freddie Couples. Um, throw give me in another Freddie run. He's, give, he's me a, give me an Angel Cabrera run if he's you know, in the field. Did you know Angel Cabrera is actually being held in a federal prison in Brazil? Okay, so he's not going to be. He's not going to be. There. I did I not know that. I saw that the other day. Like somebody was talking. Do you have about, any like, further details on I that did, situation? Uh, no? I didn't look it up, but uh, I asked a friend of the podcast, Matt Seeger, to do it. I still haven't gotten the story from him. I suppose I could have just Googled it myself, but I we're didn't. getting the legal team on it. Um, but yeah, he is apparently in a federal prison in Brazil. He's usually one of my under the radar, like to make the cut El picks Pato. or something like that. Uh, but yeah, apparently he did some stuff, so he's he won't be there. We'll not be able to make okay. it this weekend. Um, uh, <laughs> no, Rom, of, I, I know uh, I said the same thing with Spieth, but like uh-huh. Rom is his fiery mentality, his emotion on the course, like the leaderboard, especially at a major, especially at Augusta. It's more intriguing on Sunday when John Rom is in that top five when he's in that hunt. He, he's a guy that 
people are going to go out of their way to tune in and watch for the good and also for the bad because he's is capable of making an eagle on a par five as he is of absolutely blowing up kind of missing a short putt and going nuts like he's he's got that it factor and he is that good uh he, he's it, the game is better him and jordan speed the game is better when the leaderboard has them at the, you know in the top five top ten contending yeah we'll see if uh that is the case come sunday at augusta um we sit here and we talk this whole time of and we haven't mentioned the name outside of uh, in passing of the defending champion dustin johnson his form right now, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, he's the best in the world. He's the most talented in the world. I think his we've, – we've had this conversation in the past before. I think his fastball is the best in the game. Uh, oh, yeah. When he's got it. I just don't know. You know, early bow-out doesn't make it out of the group at the Dell match play. Tied 48th at the players. The recent memory or recent results have not bared fruit, and we've only seen him five times since his Masters victory six months ago. So – I'm very interested to see what Dustin Johnson does in title defense here. Would it surprise me if he's there? No, not at all. Uh, that's a favorite, Matt. Let's get to a bit of a long shot pick here. Is there a ticket you like further down the board? I, I myself have a bit of a uh, a bit of a master's ritual. Uh, okay. I call it. Love those. Got got to throw a couple bucks on Louis Eustace in the top ten finish. Uh, he's just like. Since the Albatross at 2012, I just have a soft spot for Louis at the Masters. He finished second that year, uh, has never finished that close to victory, nor do I think he will this week. But just like That's your guy. Louis stays in with the UPS sponsorship on his chest at the Masters, making a two on a par five. See, I'm, I'm going to throw 10 bucks on him to top 10. I'm always that, – that for me is Phil at the Masters because it's just – I don't okay. – Phil can be 60. He's just – it's Phil at Augusta, and is he going to make the cut? Maybe. Is he going to finish in the top ten? No, but he's always got that possibility for Phil Magic because he's Phil and he's at Augusta, and it's just it's one of those things. I mean, another guy that longer down the board, like actual odds to possibly win top ten and all that, um, another guy that's been there and won, Adam Scott. I mean, he's played fine mm-hmm. golf this year. He's the model of consistency. And when you're at Augusta, I mean – Having played there, having won there, having experience matters. Um, and I think he's a guy that you usually kind of see that name floating around the top. So some some top 10 value, some leader after a first round type thing. He's plus 5,000 to be in the lead after the first round. That would be one that I see some value there, some odds on, on trying to take a long shot at. Um, not not taking the win, but. Interesting little Phil anecdote here. Uh, our guy Kyle Porter, CBS Sports golf writer, does a great job. Um, misses nothing on tour he's out there at Augusta I think I National your, I think I know the tweet you're talking about yesterday uh, he said he stumbled upon Phil grinding over flop shots tucked away at a green in one of a hundred nooks at Augusta National Golf Club yeah like Phil was in his own corner of the grounds yesterday for a couple hours just grinding over a short game uh, he's Kyle says he sat there and watched him uh, for far too long, and it was magic. A towel and a thousand. A towel. A towel. Uh, it was. What did he say? He said, "Just a three-time champion, four Callaways, and a towel, and a thousand pound pines surrounding." So Phil's out there grinding, trying to find something like, uh, like shooter in the woods right now. But um, hopefully, he can find that before Thursday rolls around, and uh, we get this thing going at the Masters. There's just something about being on those grounds for for guys like that. For for guys Maybe. like Phil. Maybe uh, we'll see Lefty's Levitation Part Two. Does uh, does Freddie Couples make the cut? 
final oh, master I question. I don't think so. Yeah, I just probably. can't. But I can't pick against Freddie. Love to see him there, but I don't think so. We did a master's uh, honestly, school every year. Where uh, I can like, be honest with you. I can be honest with you. I know nothing of his form right now. I, I just mean, don't. It's, I, I don't know. it's probably the same form. It's been like the last five years where he just like kind of shows tender up once lower, a year. <laughs> tender lower back, but still peering it. Yeah, shows up. been shows the last up. decade for Freddie. He shows up once every few, once, once a year, hits some balls. He's like, well, I'm fine. And then goes out and plays pretty decent golf. What do you think of Dustin's Masters uh, dinner? We didn't talk about that last week. Uh, I think it was very Dustin Johnson. It was yeah, right up my Twitter, alley. Twitter I think was I in an uproar the that the pigs in the blanket. Oh, were, those like, looked delicious. They were a little bit. They were a little bit like they were a little bit too refined. It was like kielbasa surrounded by puff pastry. They looked fantastic. I was very interested in the crab crab cake fritter or whatever it was Look, called. I next saw to it. Cra- lobster and corn lobster fritter. fritter. I thought they were gonna lobster like, corn fritter. That's well, I thought there would be two separate. I thought you could have like one like lobster one. No, it's a I corn fritter with lobster. I, I, I was interested. I've, I've never seen that combination before. And then what? They did They did steaks. They did uh, uh, I forgot what fish. They there was a fish option and then there was um, so you, you had your your normal house salad or Caesar salad. I don't remember what yeah, the dessert and I, was. You know, oh, the dessert was not, peach cobbler which you have not, to do uh, peach cobbler at Augusta. He's got his peaches down in Georgia I believe. I believe that's what. If I were, if I won, California, I think think my dessert, I'd go cheap for Augusta. I just have him hand out a bunch of their the Georgia peach ice cream sandwiches they sell at the Masters. Have we done? Have we done our Masters meal before? I think I want to say we have at one point. If you would like to do an impromptu one again right now, no, because I'd like to put more thought into it. Okay, how about how about this? Next week, after next week, we both won the Masters, and we will come up with our. Masters our, dinner for our next meal year. for next year. Yeah, I so like congratulations that. to us. We are going to win the Masters on Sunday. Um, not to make it about Tiger, but I did kind of feel for everybody in the room that, not that it's a legend lost and he'll, God willing, be there next year. But um, you know, DJ didn't get DJ didn't get Tiger's signature on his uh, mm-hmm. on his Champions Dinner uh, placemat or uh, invitation, and I'm sure he will eventually. But you know that that event that room is is only what it is because of the men in that room and to have arguably the most notable all time, not there. Mm-hmm. It is notable. And, uh, you know, we're thinking of tiger this week and I'm hoping we do get some nods to him and some odes to him because, uh, he is as synonymous to that tournament as anyone from Jack and beyond. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, you're going to miss him. It's, it's going to be weird. Not whether or not he's playing, just not seeing him around there, seeing him around. The, the Masters without the name Tiger Woods or the face Tiger Woods being around with it just kind of isn't really the same. It's going to feel like there's a big hole. Um, we did get a great Rory story out of it this week, out of going to visit him. Did you see oh, that so good. So good. For those who don't know what um, Matt's talking about, apparently, you know, guys have been going over because a lot of guys do live near Tiger in the Jupiter, Florida They area. all just have a little neighborhood yeah. in Jupiter. They, they take their golf carts to each other's multi-million dollar compounds. Um, but Rory went over to check in on Tiger, sit down, talk with them, pick his brain about Augusta a little bit, you know, soak up some free game. And they're sitting in the living room and Tiger's got a setup in the living room where on one wall uh, in some sort of glass trophy case is all 15 of his major championship trophies. And Rory said, oh, that's awesome. Like such a cool look and it fits right in with the decor and it's not showy, but they're all right there. Mm-hmm. And he asked Tiger, where are the rest of them? You know, 83 career victories on tour. And Tiger said, uh-huh. they're here and there. I don't know. He said, you know, Tita has some, his mom has some. Uh, Hall of Fame has some. It's kind of there uh, around. Somewhere. The foundation has some, and other ones are somewhere else. And Rory was just taken aback by his nonchalance regarding anything non-major. And I think that the point Rory was trying to make in gleaning this from Tiger is 
four weeks matter on tour. Yeah, it's great. All, all the other tournaments and all the mm-hmm. other wins and the checks and the trophies and the moments. But we're here for these four weeks. And I think that Rory, you know, I don't know that that message serves Rory well because Rory, I think, is a guy who already puts a little too much weight on himself mm-hmm. and then cracks in those moments. He's gone top 10 in six of the last seven Masters. He's knocking on that door. What the what the discerning factor is in keeping him from winning at Augusta, I don't know. Uh, maybe it is a little kick in the butt and a little motivation from Tiger and seeing those trophies and seeing the regard in which Tiger holds the majors in respect to everything else. Maybe that is the catalyst for, for Rory McIlroy. It'll be interesting. To, it'll be uh, it'd be a great storyline in and of itself if that is one of the things that catapults him into a green jacket because I'm sure if he does win on Sunday, that will be one of the first questions asked. How big of a motivating factor was it to mm-hmm. see those 15 trophies and nothing else in Tiger Woods' home? I mean, he's he's got all of the tools. Like, it's just, it's been weird that he had that, what was it, 2014 where he won the two out of four major, two, two of the four. So one, it was, what, five, six years ago, seven, might, might even be longer than that now, where he kind of won those two. And you expected him to kind of be the guy that takes that next jump, that wins at Augusta, that's kind of the the guy that takes the mantle of this next group, next young wave of talent. And since then, he just kind of hasn't done it. You've seen some flashes where he won the players a couple of years ago where he was really good. And you thought, oh, maybe this is his jumping off point. But he just really hasn't, especially in these majors, gone and kind of grabbed the bull by the horns and, and played to his full potential. And I maybe some motivation from Tiger stopping by and, see, by and seeing him realizing how much more important majors are might be the kick in the ass he needs, but he's just kind of sitting here waiting for him to go and do it because he's got all the yeah. tools. He's got the talent. He's, you talk about great ball strikers. I mean, that guy hits the ball a mile. I mean, it's waiting for him. If he can finally and, figure it out, put it all together, he's got the tools to be the best guy on tour. And for him to do it um, would definitely, uh, I think it would help, Obviously, 100%, it would help his mental state because mm-hmm. that's where through this COVID pause and restart, he's just been a little bit unengaged, it seems like. Yeah. But a Masters victory would exalt him into... And this is the one major the he doesn't most, have, right? Well, it, yes, it would, it would exalt him into the most elite fraternity in golf history. He would be a Grand Slam winner, mm-hmm. which is a feat that only five other golfers have achieved in their lives. Um, yep. I believe I believe it's Tiger, Jack... Uh, Gene Sears. Let me look it up right now because I don't want to be wrong. Okay. Um, but, but go ahead. It's, I don't know. I don't want to say kind of fitting full circle, whatever, but I, I think you can kind of, I, I believe, take this back to Spieth's Masters win. He had, he was trailing Rory, but I think was it, he was down two shots to Rory and ended up coming back and winning that. It was a tournament that everybody thought Rory kind of had in the bag and he had the bad Sunday. And kind of since that point, yeah. he hasn't really been the same golfer i'm not sure if that's that's lingering in his head you know something that sits underneath the surface i don't really know but it kind of coming full circle here you have jordan spieth back playing his best golf you have rory in a spot where again he's at augusta where he's i mean he played in november you take out the first round he played really really well and got himself back and finished 11 under he was was flirting with missing the cut after round one and then finished in top five I mean, he he can play the course well. He knows it well. It's 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 can he kind of, you know, put to bed those demons that have kind of haunted him for a while now, and it'll be fun to watch. See if he can finally get that over with. 
big surprise. Joe was right. I had three of the five. Uh, I'll give you a dollar if you could name the other two. It's Tiger Woods, Jack Nicklaus, Gene Sarazen, and two others. Uh, to win a Grand Slam? Yep. No Googling. Uh, Tom Watson? <clears throat> nope. Arnold Palmer? Nope. Um, it's not Phil, obviously. Nope. Um, DJ hasn't won a British or a PGA. I don't know, man. This is tough. Every I mean, player... And Ben Hogan. Ah, okay. I would have guessed have Gary all Player four at some of the point modern in, majors. in somewhat recently. Uh, ben 12 Hogan, guys, I don't think I'd have gotten. 12 guys occupy the list needing just one more. Of those 12, uh, I believe only two are active in Phil and in uh, Rory. And in Rory. Um, Interesting. Jim Barnes, Tommy Armour, Walter Hague. Oh, yeah, that's Byron right. Nelson. DJ never I believe. Yeah, and I believe I believe Arnie I believe Arnie never won the PGA. Yeah, that PGA was the one that Arnie didn't have. Pete Trevino also on that list of one short: Raymond Floyd, Tom Watson, Phil Mickelson, uh, Rory McIlroy, and Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth is is one shy. He be, what does he need? He needs a U.S. Open. Uh, no, he needs a yeah, yeah. Because he won. Did he win a PGA? He's won. I don't uh, think he's won a PGA. He's won the no, US. No, no, he's he won has won, He's won the U.S. Open. Yeah, he won yeah. the U.S. Open. He won at Chambers. Chambers Bay. Yeah. He won the Open Championship. He's obviously won the Masters. And Did yes, he, he, needs a, he, needs yeah. a, he needs a PGA. That's all that Jordan needs. Jordan's so we'll see if he can get it done. That'll be the storyline headed into Kiowa Island. But uh, he is a storyline. Great course, by headed the way. I can do a course the review of that 20, like before that. 21 Masters. We look forward to that, Matt. And we look forward to the Masters this week. We'll have a full breakdown for you guys next week. Hope you guys enjoy not working. And uh, Colin Morikawa, 30-1. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's your fine, pick final for the answer. Masters. All right. Final answer. I'm taking Justin Thomas. Love it. Uh, Matt, before we say goodbye to the people here, a couple of buy or sells. What do you say? Yeah. I love buy or sell. Um, I'll start. Buy or sell. Or you start. No, you start. No, no, age before beauty. It's fine. I insist. Age before beauty. It's fine. All right. Well, you're my Jim. I don't know. You're my UFC insider. You're the Moose and Runes podcast UFC insider, I believe. Of course. Is that your title? You're cool with that? Putting that on a resume? I'm fine with that. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to say Justin Thomas, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier signed on for uh, fight three, July round three of that, the, 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 the grudge match, the rubber match, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm going to kind of let you go where you want. I think we're obviously going to tune into it because it's Conor, but buy or sell sure. round three of this, uh, this trilogy. I'm tiring on the matchup a little bit. Um, I'll buy it again just because it's Conor, just because it's a rubber match, but I'm going to go into this one uh, white knuckling it for lack of better terms, because Connor loses back-to-back fights to Dustin Poirier. You're just a liquor salesman at that point. He's kind of done. And it it really hurts the legacy. And Mm -hmm. I think we've talked about it here on the podcast before. Now, flip side of that coin, if he beats Dustin Poirier, which is very much possible, if he trains properly and comes into it supremely focused, I mean, he's still Conor McGregor. He's Mm -hmm. still one of the baddest strikers in the world. If he does win that, then what's next? Like, are we really going to watch Conor try and climb his way back to the top of the division? I don't think so. I think we're getting our last couple tastes of Conor McGregor here, and I think we should enjoy them for what they are. So, yes, I'm buying on to the fight. Am I buying on to the sale of the fight as this big grudge match? No. Like, I'd like to see – like, if you want to talk about a grudge match, yeah, it's a little late, but would have loved to seen another Diaz matchup. Would have loved to Mm -hmm. seen – and you got to be careful with some of the matchups you can make for Conor because it has to toe that line of, like, all right, this is a good fight for Conor, and we can sell it Mm -hmm. because – I mean, you throw him into the octagon with some of the batter dudes in the division. Um, 
you might be looking at a quick end to the career. And I'm worried that that is the fate that awaits him, whether it's here in the trilogy fight or fights beyond this. Um, you can only put so many Cowboy Cerrone's out front of yeah. um, front of uh, Connor and pretend like it was an awesome fight. Um, yeah, I- I'm here for it. I, I just the fight buildup is going to be completely the same. It's going to be oh, remember when we fought three years ago? Remember when we fought last year? Here's the third time, and it's going to be the grudge match. Maybe, maybe Connor's ready for this one. So uh, the the buildup to the fight will not be as exciting as past Connor fights, but hopefully the fight itself will. Be. I'm here for it simply because this is, this is like you were just kind of saying. This could be it for Connor. I mean, if he goes out yeah. and loses this fight, he, the Connor McGregor brand obviously is still very strong. But as a fighter, he's kind of not really going to be taken seriously as anything more than just kind of a name they can throw out there anymore. He kind of has his back up against the wall in this one. Like he, it's not a must-win fight because it's not going to force him into retirement. But if he ever wants to be taken seriously as a fighter again. I kind of think this is a must-win fight for him, and it's still going. And if, frankly, if, if he wins the fight, it's not like you said; he's still going to have a long way. Will we ever actually see him climb to the top, be a champion again? Not totally sure. But if he ever wants to get to that point again, if he truly does, this is a must-win fight for that. Frankly, that's what stinks about fight sports too: is that seldom are seldom are guys allowed to ride off into the sunset. They mm-hmm. fight until they are no longer what they were, and yeah. they are usurped by a younger, more talented something. And that's good for Khabib. That that tarnishes that tarnishes their legacy because mm-hmm. the legacy of Conor McGregor is ironclad. He could lose his last, next ten fights. What he did in the UFC to be a two division champion, to be such a prolific striker to be such an entertaining force that took this sport to a level it had never been at before that is written in stone that mm-hmm. is not altered by any knockout submission or loss to Khabib Poirier or anybody else his place in UFC history is cemented but mm-hmm. the tail end of these careers oftentimes I mean from Leaves you with a bad Mike Tyson a to bit. to Conor McGregor and anything in between um, it, it just sometimes, oftentimes, it uh, it goes sour, and we have to uh, we have to have the procession of our heroes on their own shields, and mm-hmm. that's that's just not what that's not what's good for those guys. That's not what's good for the sport, but it's it's the reality of the sport. You know, sometimes those things often happen in other sports where you know you lose a little. There, there's only so many Tom Brady's who continue to play at this level and win at this level and there's only so many Peyton Manning John Elways who win mm-hmm. the championship and say thanks for playing uh, a lot of these guys end their career most people end their career in loss but team sports it, it maybe isn't as magnified as a individual sport a uh an exhibition in hubris and vibrato mm-hmm. that fight sports are in which it's me versus you and you beat me and now my career's over it's a little bit more binary zero and one there now i i do want to stick on the ufc topic here sorry to put you a little bit on the spot i don't think it's too much but uh we didn't really recap too much the nganu uh miacic fight the other weekend and we don't have to get in too big of a recap i just want to know who's mm-hmm. now next for francis nganu will there because I, I know i know i know what you were kind of saying was Miocic probably, probably shouldn't be fighting anymore. Like he, he probably should have just yeah, tied up his I, I, Is that going to be no, the because one they, they set Stipe, back up again? No, no, they're not. They're not running that one back. For them okay. to set up Stipe and Ganu three, and that's interesting because 
Stipe won the first one and Ganu won the second one. Stipe's got a case to make to say, hey, line it back up. Mm -hmm. I want another shot at this belt. It was my belt for four plus years or whatever it was. Let me go at this again. But the super fight that they're trying to make is in Ganu John Jones, which John Jones is a light heavyweight, um, would make the move up to heavyweight. But um, it would be like, you know, the way that UFC people, the way that the guys who cover the sport talk about John Jones is far beyond my understanding of the fighter. Um, he's arguably the greatest to ever do it, the most complete fighter of all time, but can he get into a ring with what is the baddest knockout force that perhaps the sport has ever seen in Francis Ngannou and win? There's your question. There's your fight buildup. Is It's the complete package of John Jones against the one-punch power of Francis Ngannou, and Francis in that most recent fight with Stipe showed that he's adding things to his game. Mm-hmm. Stipe tried taking him to the ground. He tried reducing that space between the two and getting the fight to the ground where he could maybe submit him or a ground and pound and uh, elongate the fight a little bit and francis sprawled on that shot takedown and everyone's like oh francis is learning how to wrestle a little bit um now is the takedown game of stipe miocic that of john jones no john jones is a world-class wrestler just as he has a world-class striker so i think that's the fight to make it's just a matter of if the ufc wants to pay john jones his king's ransom that he's asking for this fight i, I think the figure thrown around was eight million which i think would be the largest fight purse of all time for any single fighter um so i don't know if that fight gets made because of some of the politicking that needs to be done between now and then but like next fight for francis and ganu just thoughts and prayers to whoever that next guy is because it's it's pretty apparent that if stipe miocic can't last two rounds with the guy there's not, not many, many people can. in the world that can yeah um, so I, I think it's it's a scary proposition at the heavyweight title right now because Francis Ngannou is getting better, um, is still a novice in many ways in terms of his complete package. Um, but man, is he is he world class in the way that he can hit you in the face? Yeah, that's a good thing to be world class at. I think. Yeah, <laughs> um, we'll see how it all goes down at UFC. I believe two fifty six is coming our way with a main sure. card of. Uh, if you give me two sec, or no, that was that was, was that two fifty six? I want to say that was two fifty six. UFC, yeah, let's um, Google two fifty seven. See what happens. Poirier McGregor is two fifty seven. No, that's no, I can't be right. UFC two fifty seven was Poirier McGregor two. Wait, so where? Oh, I, I was thinking I got my Bellator numbers mixed up. So they they're two sixty six now. I think. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Uh, UFC yeah. 266. Yeah, stuff. we uh, we have we now have a partnership with CBS Sports and Bellator, so we have to do some stuff covering that. So, okay. get my get my numbers. Uh, get my like numbers. That. You just you're, you're you're staying on top of things. I like it. Let me see. What's the next UFC card? This UFC is gonna bother me. I know this is great. This is great radio, but uh, UFC events 259. Way off. I was way off. Somewhat. <laughs> Somewhere between the two. Uh, let me see. Upcoming. We got uh, Whitaker Gaslam on a fight night. That's okay. 261. And yes, it is. The next marquee card is 261, and it's Usman versus Masvidal. And that's going to be that's an awesome all. That's in that's, awesome main event. Uh, Jacksonville, Jacksonville, April 24th. Full, full house. Love it. Full house. Let's get back to it. Um, Dana White has been trying to have a full house since day one. Um, I can't. I can't. You got a guy. Just I can't. I'm just, just being honesty is the best policy. And just get get us a box. It's fine. All right. Perfect. Sounds good. Uh, see you in Jacksonville, Matt. Uh, one I'll more here for, for you. 
we got to get some NFL news into the pod as always. Uh, the New York Jets. I wouldn't call it a bombshell trade. I, I'd even call it a long-awaited trade. Yeah, uh, kind of one we saw coming. They moved Sam Darnold to the um, to the Carolina Panthers, um, opening themselves up to be committed to what appears to be Zach Wilson at number two. So I want to talk about the number three pick, which the 49ers moved up into, brokering a bit of the future, trading into that spot, uh, taking the Miami Dolphins pick at three. That was originally the Houston Texans pick at three. This whole thing's going to come full circle because the Houston Texans quarterback, Deshaun Watson, was largely linked to the Carolina Panthers. But with what's going on with him personally, Carolina Panthers pulled the trigger on Sam Darnold. It is a web. I'm like Charlie in... Uh, uh, which call it? In, always what? sunny, where he's connecting always all those things. When he's, yeah. yeah, pointing, pointing when he's connecting everything. Um, but the question I want to ask you is about the number three pick in the upcoming draft sure. at the end of April. Buy or sell the San Francisco 49ers draft Mac Jones at number three? I. That seems to be what everybody's pointing. Yeah, to. I, just, I mean, I don't know it, why they want to do it, but I think I have to buy that it can happen because it sure seems like there. It sure seems like there's a lot of smoke there. I mean, that's kind of the quarterback that. Kyle Shanahan has had in his systems that he's kind of used to, but I don't, I, I like Mac Jones. I think he's going to be a nice NFL quarterback. I don't, I truly don't understand all these guys that just shoot up draft boards because one guy in a building gets obsessed with them though. I mean, I think there's a reason he was a projected, you know, back in the first I don't, round. I don't, I don't see it. Mac. I don't see Mac Jones that way. I, I can, I can understand it and I can justify it because what you're looking to do in drafting a quarterback is you're looking to set the course of your franchise forward. And if you're removing risk from that formula, Mac Jones is your guy. He is a, he is a low, he is a high floor guy. He might not be the highest ceiling guy in the draft. Mm-hmm. Like Trevor Lawrence is a higher ceiling. I, I, I'd say, may, I, I don't know. Zach Wilson's good. Could he be out of the league five years from now? Maybe I, I, I don't know what to feel about Zach Wilson. Maybe he's a higher ceiling guy than Mac Jones. Mac Jones has Maybe. a lower floor. Or higher floor. Mac Jones, higher floor. Mac Jones has the highest floor, I'd argue, of anyone in this draft. Maybe, yes, Trevor Lawrence has a high floor, too. We expect a ton yeah. from him. I think he's going to be great. But beyond Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones is the least risky pick at quarterback in this draft. Um, so I think that you can justify moving up in a draft for a guy like that, moving up to three, giving up two first round picks, bit of a stretch for me. Yeah, it's I don't John get Lynch, it. It's Kyle Shanahan. As I said last week, they get my benefit of the doubt. Um, would it surprise me if they take fields at three as more of a boom bust type proposition there? No, mm-hmm. not at all. But it seems like all signs are pointing to pointing to Mac Jones and, um, I've been higher on Mac Jones than most people. Now, do you have to move up to three to get him? Probably not, but there's going to be a run on quarterbacks. And are you willing to move up to five? Are you willing to move up to seven? Are you moving to willing to move up to 10 and trust that nobody's going to take Mac Jones if you've truly identified him as your quarterback of the, of the future? No, you, you got to move up as high as you can. Then. Yeah, it's um, also that at that three. point, they're making phone calls. I and mean, if you think they just called one team at three and said, can we get up? I'm sure they've probably called, you know, four different teams weighed all the offers that they were given and said like, Hey guys, if we have to throw in, you know, an extra fourth round pick or whatever, they might've had to throw in to move up four more spots because the yeah, offer but, okay, to get five wasn't that much different from three. Then yeah, you just do, you do that to look make at, sure you get your guy. Let's look at the draft order and see what teams are in the market for a quarterback. Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Yes. Trevor Lawrence, New York. Yes. Zach Wilson. Yeah. Uh, San Francisco at three. That was originally Houston's pick. Were they in? Were they in? The, or that was Houston Miami. to Miami. To, so it was Houston, 
Miami, San Francisco. Miami, not in the quarterback market. There was some scuttlebutt about, oh, maybe they need to go get somebody behind Tua. But you've made such an investment in Tua that you really can't this draft. At four, Atlanta, Matt Ryan, nearing the end of his career. Do you bring in the heir apparent? That's maybe a place where Mac Jones could have gone at four. So you have to at least move into four. Cincinnati, not picking at five. Uh, Philadelphia, looking for a quarterback Mm -hmm. perpetually at six. Detroit, looking for a quarterback at seven. Carolina, prior to the trade, looking for a quarterback at eight. Mm -hmm. Denver, I'd argue that they should be in the quarterback market sooner rather than later. Dallas, not. So you get... You get through the first nine picks, and conceivably five to six of those teams are in the quarterback market. So you got to move up as as high as you can to get and your I, guy. Not, I'd argue that they either, if they wanted to get their guy in Mac Jones, they had to move up to either three or four, and, and to guarantee that fact. Because if you move up to six um, and, and you get that pick, or you move up to seven and your guy's gone and you've traded two first-round picks now for a quarterback you're not in love with, the fourth overall quarterback in the draft, or the fifth overall quarterback in the draft, then you've brokered the future on someone you don't believe in. And that's a tough proposition for, for the for the 49ers front office. So if you're going to move up, move all the way up. I, I understand that. There you have it, folks. Joe Musso, Mac Jones guy. Always been, always been a Mac Jones. I have no, um, I, I, I think he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. But I, I think, I think he had a good assessment. I'm not sure. The ceiling is t- is TBD, but I do think that floor is pretty high. I don't think you're going to have a, a total complete bust. I don't think that factor is really there with Mac Jones as it could be with a Zach Wilson. I'm going to make a statement here. Um, oh boy, it's going to be it's going to be my bold statement of the podcast. You can clip it and hold me to it a half decade from now, but. And I'm no quarterback whisperer. Okay. And I could be very wrong as I've been in the past of like about Justin Herbert and about other people. I'm yeah, I still one, missed t- that one. I'm still holding my Kyler Murray card. I, That's right. You know what? That one I would hold on to uh, if I were you. Yeah, I'm holding my Kyler Murray. You don't have to give it up yet. Justin Herbert. I'm, I'm not rooting against the guy, but I'm not rooting against the guy, but is he a Super Bowl quarterback? Is he a playoff That's quarterback? Fair. We'll see. He's 5'7". Uh, Justin Herbert proved me wrong almost immediately, but yep. here's my my statement about the 2021 quarterback okay. class. Five years from now, once all these guys have been through one NFL contract, there will be only one quarterback starting in the NFL, and that's Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence will be the only guy in this quarterback class starting five years from now. That is like bold. An everyday, an everyday week one yeah. starter, Trevor Lawrence will be the only one. That's bold. But is it that bold? Is it that bold? The hit rate on quarterbacks in the first round, the hit rate on quarterbacks, period, is it's so low. Yeah. It's so low. Like guys that are starters beyond the first contract, I don't have a percentage on it, but I'd assume it's somewhere in the 30 to mid-40s range. Mm-hmm. And if you're telling me that this class is comprised of Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, who we've talked ourselves into, Trey Lance, who we're trying to talk ourselves into, Justin Fields, who people seem to be wary about for some reason or another, and the kid, uh, Mac Jones, who's got a, a, a high floor is the, high, is the best thing we is can the say best about thing, him. Yeah. It's fair. Are those guys are those guys on rosters? Probably. Are those guys starting quarterbacks in the NFL? The odds say no. The odds say no, Matt. That's I we'll check back in 5 years when we're on episode 700 <laughs> or whatever it is. Uh well, until then, I think we've done all we can this time, Matt, in episode and, 201. You got anything else for the people? Enjoy Masters Week and go make yourself some cookies in a blanket. A couple of mint juleps, uh, or no, that's that's, that's a Kentucky, Kentucky Derby. Derby. We're going to have uh, pimento. Does the Masters have a drink? 
Uh, no, I don't think so. They it's just, just like had, it's just like domestic, like domestic, cheap domestic, domestic lager and import lager. Had a had, had a few import lagers when I was there, and they give you the, these um, great cups you get to bring home with you. Before we go, fun one fun fine uh, one final fun master story for you here. Uh, I'm lucky enough to co-anchor with Eric Casillas, who worked at uh, yeah. Golf Channel for a long time and has some close personal relationships with some guys on tour. And he said that um, what was it, Brendan Steele? Not mm-hmm. Brendan Steele. Was it Brendan? I think it was. It was a story of Brendan Steele, and he remains close with Brendan. And um, they're BSing one day at Golf Channel just about Augusta and the experience. And Brendan was, or Steele was, telling EK about his first ever Masters. And he said, "You know, I, I play my first practice round on Monday. Awesome round with some great people, and just like I, I'm experiencing this, you know, this Masters warmth for the first time. And we go into the dining room, and I sit down and." Uh, the waiter comes up and he says, what would you like, Mr. Steele? And he says, oh, I, I haven't seen a menu yet. He goes, no, this is Augusta National. What would you like? Like, we can do, we can we do whatever can you do want. Any, we we can it. do anything right now. Whatever you this want. This is Augusta. That's awesome. Order something. Like, how cool How cool is that? that you, just, you can just sit down in the dining room and say, I want duck a la presse. Or I want a ribeye. Or um, I want... Uh, I want a cheese uh, pizza. I, I want some smoked ribs and a cheese pizza. Like, yes, it's Augusta. We got it. That's I, I just dream. found that I just found that so cool. That's my dream. Um, and now I'm going to think you about order, that man? all weekend. Well, yeah, I was going to say, what would be your... Uh, that, that would be like a daunting... As someone who has no trouble... Some sort of down, barbecue. Oh, I, I just think a lot of being down yeah. in Georgia, being down in the South. That's I, true. I think, and it's Augusta. And I, I think I'd have to do some sort of barbecue. Yeah, I think that um, I don't know exactly. You know, I, I'm, I'm not someone. I, I say I'm not someone who. You know, people. Yeah, that's true as well. People struggle to order sometimes, even with a menu in front of them. I, I, I never have any problem with that. But if, but with no menu, I might have to sit there for a moment and say, "Oh, I don't know." Circle back sure. to me in five. Yeah, um, but uh, it's it's going to be an exciting Masters week from the dining room to the to the 18th uh, green. We're going to be covering it all. We're going to be watching it all. We're not going to miss a stroke. Matt and I will have our full breakdown on episode 202 of the Moose and Runes podcast. But until then, for Matt Rooney, I am Joe Musso saying have a great week. Enjoy the Masters. We'll talk to you guys soon. Goodbye, friends. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome.